Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme recorded live. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. This season, we are taking sci-fi themes from B-movie to triple X, with tales told live on stage, without notes or inhibitions. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. Now, we visit the Forbidden Planet, recorded on August 25th, 2020, behind the walls of the old Idaho Penitentiary. Here are our brave explorers who visited the Forbidden, featured storytellers Tony Hagen and Crystal Moore. But first, we hear from guest host Minerva Jane. Since 2020 is basically a sci-fi flick and IRL vision, it's Late Night Stories. All right. I want to welcome you all to Story Story Late Night tonight. So the late night means it could get naughty. I could say something adult. (laughs) And I haven't been around a whole lot of people since everything shut down. So (laughs) it's anybody's guess what's going to fly out of this mouth tonight. (laughs) This is the first event I've done since the shutdown. So I am a little rusty. So I hope you'll give me some grace as uh, I have literally just been pretty much in my bedroom. So, <laughs> and that's a place where, <laughs> where anything really does go. So, <laughs> so welcome to Forbidden Planet. How many of you have seen Forbidden, Forbidden Planet? Yeah, couple of you. Okay, how many of you have heard of Forbidden Planet through like the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah, that's a little bit more familiar, okay. Well, you know, um, this may come as a surprise to you, but as a, uh, a little baby blonde bombshell growing up in Emmett, <laughs> um, <laughs> many of my interests have been considered forbidden. <laughs> I've done them anyway. <laughs> and what I wanted to touch on here is because Forbidden Planet is so um, iconic to the 50s uh, sci-fi uh, horror kind of genre. It really was uh, a game changer of a movie. Um, And that's one of the reasons why it is mentioned in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And rather than focus on all of the uh, sleazy forbidden things that I have uh, boldly gone forward and done in my life, I wanted to focus on something that I felt forbidden from doing, and that was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. (laughs) So when I discovered the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I was Um, in high school in Emmett, and I think like a lot of people, especially for the LGBTQ community, it was, let's hear it for the LGBTQ plus community. I know I may look Republican, but thanks for coming here tonight instead of staying home. (laughs) Jody's the only person who can get me outdoors in August. So, uh, <laughs> be best, okay? There's my speech, okay? Um, <laughs> um, so, I had um, become sort of obsessed with the movie, right? And it sort of was this introduction to a lot of people um, to the first time they maybe, like, saw a man in panties, right? <laughs> and uh, it sort of started to challenge gender roles and sexuality. And <laughs> how many here have seen a man in panties? See? It's always fun, right? (laughs) It's funner out of the panties. (laughs) 
And so when the time came, um, years and years and years ago, there was a theater company here in Boise called Spontaneous Productions. Is there anybody here who remembers Spontaneous Productions? Okay, there's a few of you. And uh, it was known for doing irreverent, envelope-pushing theater. I did 12 shows with them. <laughs> and the time came where um, I decided I wanted to audition for Rocky Horror. And of course I wanted to play Janet, but that really wasn't <laughs> the role they had in mind for me. Um, and so they wanted me to, if I was gonna audition, they wanted me to audition for Dr. Frankenfurter. And so I kind of like told my friends, I'm thinking about doing this role, I know it's a lot, um, it's also like very, um, all the costumes are really revealing um, and you know, it's a dirty kind of playful show. And uh, I wanted to bring up that like, I felt forbidden from auditioning because uh, I told one of my very dearest friends at the time <laughs> uh, that I wanted to audition and he just looked at me and he was like, Minerva, you're too fat to play Frankenfurter. Right? And so now no one would ever say that to anyone's face, right? I mean, you might get that in a comment on YouTube or, or Twitter or something, <laughs> but most polite people would never say that. And you know, I thought, well, fuck you. So, <laughs> so I auditioned for the role and I got the role of Frankenfurter. And I went on to play Frankenfurter three different times. Uh, once with Spontaneous Productions and twice with Stagecoach Theater. But then what was interesting from there is that I had been a part of this show, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which in the song, the opening song, it's like Anne Francis stars in Forbidden Planet. And uh, being obsessed with glamor and Hollywood and stuff like that, the show is a lot of fun. Um, but then it became really weird because I came back a couple years in a row to play Frankenfurter and people were irritated because a woman was playing Dr. Frankenfurter. <laughs> So, so the gays were like, you're too fat to play Frankenfurter. <laughs> the uh, uptight women were like, you're a woman, you can't play Frankenfurter. And so then I um, also told her to, you know, go forth and fuck herself. <laughs> and I've never let anything really stop me, but it's really interesting when you start pushing those envelopes and doing the forbidden, who is irritated by that and who isn't, right? You start learning uh, what, people are dealing with with their own uptightness. Even somebody who maybe had been in the show would have a problem if you deviated from the, um, the Tim Curry Frankenfurter. Um, so the first year we did it, we did it an 80s theme. That wasn't my decision. And uh, it was very, um, very like dynasty sort of <laughs> take on uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then the next time I did it, Elizabeth Taylor had just died, so it was White Diamonds Frankenfurter. <laughs> and then the last time I did it, it was Mommy Dearest Frankenfurter, which really is the truest of the Frankenfurters, really, truly. So, um, and I know that uh, now people who are auditioning are um, not afraid. Like Joan Jett has played the role of Frankenfurter. We've had cis women, uh, audition for Frankenfurter as well. So um, I just think it's interesting that even those things that are forbidden, like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, still, um, even though it has opened up so many people's minds, still uh, causes people to be very, very uh, uncomfortable with any deviation from the plot. And if it's forbidden, shouldn't one deviate anyway if you're gonna do it? <laughs> 
As my favorite 1950s blonde bombshell, Jane Mansfield said, if you're gonna do something wrong, do it big, because the punishment's the same either way. <laughs> so. And so a little bit about Forbidden Planet, since not very many of you have seen it. It takes place in the 23rd century, so only 200 years from now. <laughs> and um, it stars uh, Leslie Nielsen, young, hunky, sexy Leslie Nielsen, before he was old, hunky, sexy, goofy Leslie Nielsen, um, as Commander Adams. It stars Walter Pidgeon as Dr. Morbius, and it stars Anne Francis as Altera, uh, Dr. Morbius's very needy daughter. <laughs> and uh, the spacecraft lands on Altair 4, or yes, Altair 4, uh, which is uh, a planet that uh, humans were sent to centuries before, but um, now there's only two people left alive, and it's Commander Adam's job to get to the bottom of why everybody um, in this show is gone now. And it's, uh, many people feel that it's based on The Tempest by William Shakespeare, so if, you get, if you're familiar with The Tempest, then uh, you might have an idea, kind of, of what uh, the plot is. But of course, in typical 1956 fashion, gorgeous Anne Francis playing Altera Morbius works her way through every crew member, <laughs> finally settling on the man who what? Thinks she dresses like a slut. <laughs> so you still get your 1950s values. And then Anne Francis would of course go on to play Honey West and that very, very dark mole on her chin. <laughs> so um, check out Forbidden Planet. Um, and. Uh, and uh, have a cult movie night, a socially distanced cult movie night, and enjoy it. It was a, a box office success, and it was actually nominated for an Academy Award. I think it may have won an Academy Award, I'm not sure. Um, it was a, a sci-fi movie that was nominated for an Academy Award and had the first robot that wasn't just a few tin cans, like, moving around. So, <laughs> check it out. Now, um, put your hands together for Tony Hagen. So I'm, I'm sure it'll come as no surprise to a lot of people from my past that I did, in fact, end up in prison. I didn't think it would be under these conditions, but all right. So, so as far back as I can remember, I was, I was always an explorer. I never really felt like I fit in anywhere, so I was always looking for something new, something different. And as a teenager, the search for the, for the unknown led me to drugs, and more specifically, psychedelic drugs. So when I was 15, I moved out and I ended up living with uh, my best friend who was also a lover of, of hallucinogens. Um, and we went off on a forbidden experiment. We were going to, in an effort to avoid building a tolerance to either LSD or magic mushrooms, we would simply alternate them and, and do them as often as we could possibly get our hands on them. So, uh, in the middle of this grand undertaking, we ended up at a party. And I remember it was, it was surprisingly easy to find what we were looking for. It was an acid night. And uh, I took a couple hits of Jesus Christ and then a couple hits of Mad Hatter. And when those didn't work, I had a couple of uh, sugar cubes that had been double dipped in some sort of acid I don't know the name of. And yet, I felt nothing. 
I had taken more acid in one sitting than I ever had or ever would again. And in fact, my roommate had only taken half what I had and he was just soaring. In fact, I was beginning to feel really dejected because everyone at the party seemed to have just taken off and had gotten where they were going, but I'd been left behind. It was as if I had crawled into my own private rocket ship and takeoff had been forbidden. But you know what, it was a party, so fuck it. I went into the kitchen, I had a beer with my friends, I, uh, I went into the next room and found a giant circle of people passing around a four-foot bong, and I sat down, waited my turn, and when it got to me, I took a little hit and, and passed it to the right. But then the guy to my right loaded a fresh bowl and put it in front of me and said, no man, this one's all you. Now in the circles I used to hang out in, there was a little bit of ego that was attached to how much weed you could smoke, and more importantly, how big of a hit you could take. So I accepted the challenge, and I swirled my lighter around that fuzzy little green and orange bud and slowly pulled the smoke in, watching it turn gray and then yellow and then brown, and I released the carb. And I held it in as long as I could. And suddenly, it all hit me. All of it. And I was transported to another world. The green light in the room made it seem like we had a different sun and a different atmosphere. And, and everyone in the room had some alien complexion. And, and I remember looking around and just being in awe of their clothing like I'd never seen anything like it. It was fascinating. So I decided I'd explore other rooms and other worlds. And in the next room, it was really poorly lit, but there was this blue light from a TV that had been let on, left on, and, and there was this couple on the couch making out, but I swear to God, they were devouring each other. <laughs> so I moved on to the kitchen, which was brightly lit with fluorescence, and, and there were my friends, and, except they weren't exactly my friends. They were these weird archetypal caricatures. Like one of them was six feet tall, so he was all of a sudden this huge heroic figure. And one of the girls I had come with was wearing this sundress and suddenly she was the picture of feminine beauty. And then I found my roommate. Oh my God, my roommate was there. But his pupils were huge and black and they barely left room for just a little circle of color around him. They were so wide and he was barely moving. It was almost like he was a robot. Until now, I had been completely in my own world. I was, I was a detached observer, checking out everything I could find. And, but suddenly I needed to tell my friend everything, and I did. And he patiently listened. And when I was through, he looked at me and with all seriousness said, you're gone, man. You are in another universe and you are never, ever coming home. And he wasn't too far from the truth, to be honest. He took me outside and sat me in front of a tree and left me to have a conversation. And while I don't remember any of the words, I do remember leaving with a deeper understanding of stillness. Well, eventually my fellow degenerates decided it was time to leave the party. So they scooped me up from the tree and they crammed me into the back of that little VW bug that we had come in. Someone helped fasten my seatbelt and another person handed me a, a gallon jug of Sunny D and cheap vodka, which I gladly drank from. And the next thing I knew, lights were flying by like stars through the window of the car. And then all of a sudden, the lights were coming from behind us, and they were red and blue. And there was a police officer at the side of the car, and 
everything that was coming out of his mouth was like the audible equivalent of a blur. I couldn't understand any language. Not from him, not from my friends. And miraculously, he decided to let us go with a warning. But not before I latched onto the only phrase I could find and suddenly started repeating, I'm only 15. I'm only 15. Over and over. He still let us go, but my friends never did let me live that down. Now, when I got home, I realized I had to pee. And my bedroom was at the very top of the stairs at the end of a long hallway just to the right of the bathroom, which should have been really convenient. But when I got to the top of the stairs, it was as if gravity had doubled, and I, it was all I could do to crawl to my bedroom and crawl into a little ball and feel safe. And this is when the trip actually started. Suddenly, I was aware of everything. I could hear the voices in the next room, and I could, I could hear them breathing, and then their heartbeats. I could hear the dogs sleeping downstairs, and the trees sighing in the wind, and, and the grass outside stretching and, and embracing the newly formed dew. But it just started. Suddenly, my body didn't matter, and my consciousness was stre stretching out and floating out into the ether, and I remember watching the Earth get smaller and smaller, and then, and then the solar system got smaller, and then our galaxy just shrank in front of me, and each layer was like a, a separate layer in an onion. And I kept going until all the galaxies became so small they vanished, and the onion's rings became irrelevant, and all I was left with was the eternal vibration of everything. The entire universe was this single humming entity with me at its center. And I floated there for, I don't know, a second, an hour. To me, it lasted forever, and it was, it was glorious. Nothing mattered, nothing I had ever worried about mattered. Not my past, not my future, not, not the parts I would play in any of it. That was all too small. All that mattered was the combination of everything, of all time. Everything mattered, but no single thing mattered on its own. I would have stayed there forever, but the drugs started to wear off. So slowly, the universe began to shrink. And those, those layers of the onion started to reassert themselves. And then I could see galaxies. And I went down layer by layer until I found a place where I started to be aware that I was separate from all of it, but still apart. And I could still feel the hum. I could still feel the vibration of all things. But there was also this, this strange pang, this weird twinge. And I didn't like it. For some weird reason, I started to think about this horoscope I had read. And in the horoscope, a Sagittarius comes to a sage and asks the sage to teach him to love. And the sage grabs the Sagittarius by the head, dunks him in a nearby fountain, and holds him under until he's about to run out of air. Gasping, the Sagittarius comes up and says, why would you do that to me? Why? And the sage says, as soon as you want to love, as much as you wanted to breathe in that second, you will love. Now, love was the furthest thing from my mind at this moment. but. I thought to myself, what do I want more than anything? And it, the answer was obvious. It was to get rid of that weird twinge, that, that weird pang. And so I did. I let go. And it went away. And I got to enjoy coming down layer by layer, seeing new worlds and new wonders. And eventually, I landed on a planet that was almost exactly like the one I had left behind. And there I was, curled up in a little ball in my bed. And I was cold and wet. Now, it took a minute for me to put the, 
things together, but that, that twinge had been a full bladder. And I had wet the bed. But I wasn't worried, because that had happened way up here on another layer of reality. That, by the time I finally got down, that, that didn't happen. That was there. That wasn't going to be. But sure enough, I had pissed myself. <laughs> but I had landed otherwise unscathed. So I had arrogantly taken a forbidden path in search of the unknown. And I had gotten far more than I had asked for. My ego had been stripped away. My id had fallen apart. And I had been confronted with the relationship between the universe and my tiny but essential place in it. And my friend was right. I never actually did come back. This world has never actually been the same. Let's hear it for Tony Hagen. Crystal Moore. All right, well, uh, hello. This is, oh my God, the most people I've seen all together in six months or something. Shit, all of us too. Well, uh, like she said, my name is Crystal. Uh, that's with a K, like a stripper would spell it. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and I am a very hairy lady. <gasps> Gasp. There goes my career in stripping. I actually love my body hair. I know, how dare I? It's forbidden. Most of you are probably grossed out. I don't care. <laughs> it wasn't always that way, though. You see, in high school, I had a boy in seminary class run his thumb across my upper lip and say, you got a bit of fuzz there. Obviously, I died in that moment, and it's my ghost speaking to you today. No, but I did start shaving my entire body nose to toes that day. Nose to motherfucking toes. And then I spent eight years of my life doing that daily. I'll never get back the time I wasted shaving my butthole. <laughs> Minerva's wasted some time too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fast forward, I'm 24 years old, I'm pregnant, and I'm giving up on a few items of maintenance, like shaving. <laughs> At first I hated it, but I don't know, it grew on me or something. I'm sorry, that's a dad joke. Ugh, throw it away. Uh, you see, I just, before I knew it, I was covered in hair and I was breastfeeding this baby girl. And when I saw myself as that woman, I loved the woman I saw. I sat there happy in my fuzz breastfeeding and thinking about my daughter and wondering what her life would be. What would be expected of her as a girl, as a woman? And I didn't like what I saw. 
I mean, sure, we can vote, but like, I still have to shave my pussy and cook dinner. Mm -mm. I did not want this life for her. I made a decision that day that I would set an example for my daughter of a woman who creates her own life. Outside the patriotic rules, the rules that the patriarch puts on us, a fearless, funny, and of course, fuzzy woman. That's what I would be. All of the things forbidden if you're a female. 12 years later, I have uh, lived a hairy woman, and uh, I can't tell you how many people have asked me why I don't shave. The number is too great. You don't understand how off-putting it is to have a stranger point out that your legs are hairy. Like, I know, bitch, they're my legs. <laughs> I left them that way. You can do that. <laughs> you want to pet them? <laughs> I didn't know I'd be causing such a scene. Even my dad has been like, but you're an American woman. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> I've had ex-lovers throw absolute fits over it, which is baffling. Like, boy, you want this pussy or not? Well, she was, she's hairy, so get used to it. Free floss, motherfucker. <laughs> Come and get it. <laughs> uh, so I started writing jokes about it. <laughs> and then I took those jokes to Boise's Funniest Person. And I made it into the competition. Hmm. Now, that was something I actually didn't know I was good at until my first Story Story Night. Yeah. The theme was crime stories, because I'm a late-night gal. That's just who I am. Uh, so it's, it's really meaningful for me to be back here with Story Story Night, uh, here specifically at the Idaho State Penitentiary. And... Um, it was a really unforgettable night, you know. I made lifelong friends, and uh, I won the slam with a story you can listen to on their website, and I went into comedy. Now, when I first told my sister that I was going to do Boise's Funniest Person, she said, Oh, honey. You're not funny. And she was serious. <laughs> Again, just like that boy with my uh, girlish mustache, I died. So I was very, uh, you know, when I first saw her laughing in an audience, I could hardly believe it. I had finally become this fearless, funny, fuzzy woman that I had been going for. This moment in my life wasn't measured by my use or appeal to a man. 
I was in forbidden territory. And I loved the woman I had become. Woo! We got one other person loving the woman they are. That's great. Now, I, uh, you know, eight years later, and I have had the pleasure of producing a lot of really fun shows from stand up and variety shows to an online sci fi fan, uh, fan fiction. You heard that right. Yeah. I've spent the last four years of my life making uh, Doctor Who fan series. Plot twist. <laughs> With no money. I'm a mom. Right? I got a teenager and a toddler because I like a goddamn challenge. <laughs> you know what's a challenge? Is making a sci-fi in your living room at 11 o'clock at night after the kids have gone to sleep, after you've made two meals, all the toys pushed to one side, just out of frame. Three sweaty dudes behind a camera, two actors on a green screen, AC off for sound, that's a fucking challenge. Why would I do this to myself? <laughs> well, I love sci-fi, but the roles women have in them are kind of crap and uh, worth making fun of. So, uh, like the, our theme tonight, Forbidden Planet, that movie. Uh, Minerva's brought up Altera. Altera, the only girl in the whole movie. The only female on cast. She's uh, innocent, pure, virginal. Oh yeah, and her hair is perfectly coiffed Makeup done, hairless, smooth legs. <laughs> Talk about some just iconic 50 sexism, you know? Time stamped right there. It's precious that they thought two year, 200 years into the future, the patriarchy would still be as virile as ever. Back when men were men and women were silly little girls. The strong male lead always wins the war, saves the day, gets the girl who is, of course, beautiful, hairless, virginal. Ugh. But like, for real, who taught this girl how to shave? Her dad? I just don't like that. Uh, we're all hairy. And um, I had decided to make my own role in life, my own leading roles. Because I can do that, you can do that, we can all do that. And uh, so when I got to it, I picked Doctor Who, uh, the doctor, the doctor. Not the virgin, the slut, the mother, the witch, the companion, all the things that women can be for a man. You see, that's what pissed me off about Altera. She's the only woman on this planet. There's nobody telling her what to do. This, she could have been a genius. And like Rip, like Conan the Barbarian, this independent woman building robots and exploring the terrain with her tiger and her fucking hairy legs and shit. But then what use would she be to her strong male lead? Mm. 
And that is why I had to, I had to make my own uh, doctor. Now the doctor is a time lord who stole a TARDIS, a time machine, and he travels about space and time befriending humans, most often young ladies. Uh, now it's also actually the longest running uh, television sci-fi because the BBC created, they came up with this just brilliant uh, plot device, which is that the doctor, Time Lords, can regenerate into completely new actors. Ah, brilliant. Now until the most recent doctor incarnation, they had only ever been men, okay? They'd only ever been men. Coincidentally, the BBC decided to cast their first woman at the same time I did. It must have been on the zeitgeist. I sensed it, my womanly intuition. Now, I was, uh, I was watching an episode with Peter Capaldi, which is the, like the last dude uh, doctor, and I just got to thinking how differently this would all turn out if he were just a woman. Only that difference. You know, the idea of her going places she's been before as a man and being received differently really intrigued me. It was just a little gold nugget I simply had to mine, you know. I, uh, oh, I just got very quiet all of a sudden. Oh, it's me, because I stopped talking, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. I, uh, yeah, so I just had to mind this. I, I wanted to start in the witches, you know, the witch trials of the, in England, because I just thought, you know, this strong, smart, sexy woman turns up in this uh, blue box, which is much, much bigger on the inside. That's right, you guys, her box is bigger on the inside. <laughs> That's the only time I'm ever gonna be able to use that Doctor Who joke, that's great. <laughs> now, she turns up, you know, uh, this bitch is a witch, right? <laughs> like, she's gonna be burned alive at the stake. And that interested me. I actually, I started the, the episode with her being mistaken as the companion, right? I liked the idea of this charismatic, authoritative figure being seen as just a silly little girl. I guess because I feel like I'm seen that way. Just a silly little girl. And that shithead who rubbed my upper lip like it was Aladdin's lamp saw me that way. Just a silly little girl he could amuse himself with by pointing out my forbidden fuzz. Well, Thanks, shithead, I actually love my body hair now and am more motivated to make it not a forbidden thing for women everywhere. Woo, thank you. Send me pictures of your armpit hair. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which is why my Doctor Who has hairy legs. Unlike the BBC's new Time Lady, and I'll be honest, I'm very disappointed to have seen her in cropped pants with shaved legs. Like, so close, BBC. So close. You gave us the woman we wanted, but you still made her appealing for the man. Why? Why would you do that? I, uh, 
See, this silly little girl is just getting started on dismantling the patriarchy. Oh yeah. You guys can follow me online uh, for front row seats or a private show. Uh, my name is Crystal with a K, you remember? Yeah. And uh, thank you so much, Jody and Story Story Night, for giving me this opportunity and creating yet another unforgettable evening, one that when I look back on, I will love the woman I remember. Fearless, funny, fuzzy as fuck, <laughs> and oh so forbidden. Thank you guys. Let's hear for Crystal Moore. Thanks for listening. Now, Crystal, Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsors, Boise State Public Radio and Radio Boise. Our summer season sponsor is the Over 19 Adult Shop. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. Also, check out our YouTube channel. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. Thank you.